Salam and welcome to another TMV podcast brought to you by the Muslim Vibe. As always, I'm your host, Salim Qasim. Um, and on this week's podcast, I'm joined by Dr. Sheikh Jawad Shamali. We've had him on a few times before. Um, all the episodes he's been on have been um, really, really fascinating listens and some of the most listened to episodes actually that we've um, ever done. So on this week's podcast, um, we're talking... So we start actually by talking about a book called The Surrender Experiment, which I was reading um, and we had a few offline conversations about it and I said, you know, let's let's um, talk about it on the podcast. And then we kind of went on to discuss um, Islamic spirituality in the kind of mainstream realm and where it's letting us down as a community and why on a kind of why it doesn't have the same mass appeal that um you know these other books like the surrender experiment do have um the surrender experiment by the way is uh, a, a really fascinating read i'd highly recommend it i had it on audible um i was listening to it on audible and, and i think it's uh, michael singer who's the author who actually reads out as well um but it's a fascinating journey and a really interesting concept um definitely recommend it on my side uh, but obviously we discuss it on the podcast a little bit um and yeah uh I've been told, by the way, by my team, by, by my team, by the team, um, that I ramble too much at the end of the podcast, so I'm trying to keep it really brief and succinct. Um, I think, yeah, one and a half minutes isn't bad. Um, here is my conversation with uh, Dr. Jawad Shamali. Salam, Sheikh. Salam, Salim. Thank you very much for, for joining us again on the podcast. Um, third appearance now, and I feel like we've, we've covered... Uh, quite a lot of ground in the past um but there's always more that we can talk about and we've always wanted to and i think for context how this kind of came about was the last time you were on we were talking about um changing your habits as a means to get closer to god and to find god and we we spoke about a variety of things i think the where we started from was um the power of now no not the power of now it was how oh god i can't remember the name of the book uh you can't either oh the power of habit the power of habit yes charles duggett or something like that i can't remember his name um that's where we started yeah and then the conversation went on some winding route incredible discussion (laughs) mind-blowing beautiful discussion if you haven't heard the podcast do check it out um i'll put the link in the description but what i said to you after that actually i sent you a voice note because i started listening to a book that you mentioned on that podcast i believe if not then someone mentioned it to me afterwards um called uh i'm I'm really blanking on names right now the surrender experiment the surrender experiment um by michael a singer yeah and what i said to you was when i finish this book it would be great to sit down and like anytime i do one of these or i read one of these self-development personal growth books yeah it would be good to sit down with yourself because i think you've covered a lot of i don't know why you read all of them but you have it seems have a uh, lot of time, have a lot of free time. <laughs> um, and, and, and to kind of have a conversation and I guess I guess start with the, the concepts and the notions within the book and then use that as a leapfrog into just let's see where it goes. Yeah. And ironically with this one, we'll talk about surrender at the beginning, but when I tried to sit down with you and discuss what we're going to talk about, you just gave me nothing and said, just surrender and we'll see where it goes. Um so I think let's let's start with the book and the notion of surrender. So so firstly, I guess for people that haven't come across it, it's a it's quite a fascinating book. I think in terms of it's it's almost like an autobiography, mm-hmm. um, but like a very introspective autobiography of of Michael A. Singer, who yeah. um, is is big on yoga, 
and and spirituality through that means but he started out on it on the journey by kind of firstly appreciating the fact that his in a sorry his his the thoughts that run through his head and the narrative in his head are not necessarily him mm-hmm. and that's just a part of him that he can detach from and and whatever else um and then he started learning how to silence his inner mind and then the journey took him to kind of surrendering to whatever life was putting in front of him yeah and it led him down uh, a remarkable road i mean as the book went on i was like okay this is getting a bit more and more far-fetched yeah until you get to the end i don't want to ruin that his his sort of story and his journey yeah but it's it's quite crazy um and and I, i i was thinking throughout and i guess i'll start with this question i was thinking throughout you know whether it's just a coincidence that someone who has this kind of approach to life of surrendering went on to have a remarkable and 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 almost crazy life in that sense or if if that's actually part of surrender mm-hmm, mm-hmm. very good question is it despite of or because of yeah 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 it's a very fascinating book and um, it's been received really well of course this wasn't his first book he had the untethered soul which is another amazing book and I really recommend it to people who are going through anxiety or basically anyone who wants to have a better life. But this one was very interesting. He basically, as you said, mentions the story of his life and how um, this one simple practice of surrender basically changed the course of his life. And um, I think the way he puts it in the book, and we can discuss whether we agree or not, is that it was actually because of surrender Mm. that everything happened to him and uh, what was your personal uh like uh, take on it like when you were listening could you relate to it or our coffee machine has something to say i think um (laughs) i love it your coffee machine even last time we were doing a wanted to participate (laughs) and i really feel good i'm like if people don't want to listen to me at least you've got the coffee coffee machine machine. yeah 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 we'll wait for it to stop uh i think it's hopefully done um so in terms of my so i guess when i'm reading these or listening to these books um i'm i'm trying to see if i can resonate with the the narrative Mm -hmm. and and with something like surrender um i found for me that it was very islamic Mm -hmm. in its in its outlook and Mm -hmm. in how it kind of presented itself yeah in terms of like if you replace the universe with god Mm -hmm. and surrendering to the will of god and Mm -hmm. embracing the opportunities that are put in front of you i was reading it and assessing like me and and opportunities that come my way and how i receive them Mm -hmm. um because i i think there is this notion i believe at least islamically that there are no coincidences Mm -hmm. and you know conversations happen and things happen at at a moment that's important and destined yes and like one example from the book that that really struck with me was uh so he's a vegetarian I'll, Mm -hmm. i'll briefly try and summarize this um he was in a different city and he was looking for food and all he wanted was vegetables and rice um and so he's he's driving around and he and he had got directions from the hotel he couldn't find where he was going um and he got lost and he was ended up in some square then he drove around for another half an hour he's starving at this point yeah. and he, he's trying to get back to his hotel and he f- ends up back in the same square so he's like okay that's a sign from the universe let me just maybe i'll find something so he parks his car he gets on foot yeah walks down a side alley and he sees a restaurant a vegetarian restaurant he's mm. like oh my god and then outside he sees a sign that says today's special 
vegetables and rice now i know yeah. vegetarians don't have many options so that's <laughs> special for them um i had to take a dig at vegetarians but so anyways he, he so he's like this is it the universe has just like given me this it's like amazing and he felt like so fulfilled and whatever and and again that's like enough of a lesson it's like you know sometimes the universe is telling you things yeah but then he get in, gets into the restaurant, he eats his meal and the, the owner of the restaurant is constantly like just looking at him really intensely. Mm. And then afterwards, when he goes to pay his bill, the guy is like, you're Mickey Singer, aren't you? And he's like, yes, I am. And he's like, you gave me a lift like 10 years ago and uh, you had a picture of your yogi master in the car and you told me about his book. And then I went to a bookstore in my hometown and I read this book and it changed my life. And now I'm a devotee of this yogi. Um, and he goes that he had tears in his eyes and he's like, I've been waiting for the day to, that I can thank you personally. Yeah. And, and in, he comments in the book, he says that, you know, I thought the universe was like giving me food, exactly mm. the food that I wanted, but actually it was fulfilling a much greater purpose yeah. for somebody else that I didn't even realize or know. Yeah. Um, I think he got a free meal out of it as well. So it, was a, <laughs> it was a win-win in that sense. But for me, there's, I think you, you can see those things, but you have to look for them. A lot of the times, like we we kind of go through life very absently, mm -hmm. where things happen, conversations take place. You know, you know these like eureka moments or whatever life changing moments. Sometimes yeah. we don't realize they're life changing until we retrospect. Yes. But the the act of actively engaging with understanding everything that's happening to you, every thought that you're having, every yeah. thing that's happening around you, I think that was a very powerful notion for me in the book. Yeah. Um, but a big part of it, step one, which I haven't fully over, well, I haven't overcome at all, is quieting, quietening your mind. Yeah. And 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 allowing yourself because there's a lot of noise. Yeah. And especially in, I I believe at least in London, in the UK, like we live such fast-paced lives, and I think yeah. we might have discussed this previously as well. Yeah. But there's so much in the background that's going on that we don't even have a moment to process. Um, anything that's yeah. happening to us yeah so so that's like step one is is, is that kind of and, and all the meditation stuff as well we have that in our tradition yeah um i think anyway and i believe and i've, I've seen it and it's always talked about like a, an hour of meditation is better than i don't know a thousand months or years or about depending on um where you've seen the hadith basically but the, the, these notions exist um sorry to interrupt this conversation um very quickly for those of you that are listening uh, we have podcasts that come out every Sunday on our podcast platform and I think on like a Monday or Tuesday on YouTube. Um, if you haven't already and if this is the first podcast you're listening to or if you listen to a couple and you haven't yet committed to subscribing, then please do subscribe. would mean a lot to us um, and we genuinely do have great guests and great conversations every week. Um, would love for you guys to be involved and be a part of that. Um, so yeah, hit the subscribe button and... Um, more of the same from us, inshallah. Anyways, uh, that's enough of me interrupting things. Here's back to our conversation um, with uh, Jawad Shamani. But I realized you just asked me a question rather than me asking you one. What did you think about it personally? How, how, how did you relate to the book? No, I uh, really enjoyed your answer. And you know, one of the things I think it's very important about surrender is that it shows that something like surrender, which could be very similar to, for example, tawakkul we have or taslim or tafweev in our religion, it shows that this could actually be a lifestyle. Uh, 
right? The problem we have with our own concept is that, yes, we've heard we should have tawakkul. No one tells us how, just have tawakkul. And we've got a few hadiths like, you know, you do your own bit and leave the rest to God. Um, but none of them have the power the way they are communicated to us currently, of course. Within them, they have so much power. But the way they are expressed to us, they don't have the power to form a lifestyle. And that's what I think made the Surrender Experiment such a powerful book mm -hmm. because it shows you that surrender is not something you do every now and then. It's a way of life, right? And it's basically, um, it's telling you that you can either make decisions, always think through your, you know, um, through your thoughts, through what comes to your mind, trying to plan a life for yourself, or there's another way of living in which you do your best but you leave a lot of things in a very real sense to the universe or God. And, and he shows step by step what does this process of letting go of control looks like when you want to choose a job, when you want to start a business. So this, it was really real. And, and I think this is what made the book so powerful because you could initially, sorry, you could immediately follow that. And I actually tried it a lot, right? So I give a lot of lectures, and especially when I listened to this book, it was pre-corona period, right? So going around uh, many different cities giving lectures, and I would usually spend maybe days or weeks thinking about one lecture. And I would keep reading, reading, reading. And the problem when you keep reading for a lecture is that you never are done so that you can like summarize everything, right? Because till the last moment, I'm usually reading. It's a rabbit hole, basically. Yeah. yeah. So one day, I, would go, I was going, I think, to Birmingham. And I was like, let's for this lecture. I've read a lot, you know? And uh, this topic, I've spoken about it a billion times. Let me this time not focus too much on trying to get it perfect. Let me just see... Um, what comes to my mind in the moment? Let's go assess the situation. Let's basically surrender. And what happened was very fascinating. Um, as soon as I sat, first of all, I didn't have all the pressure of I have to mention all these points in the lecture. Mm. And that immediately freed a lot of my mind to just be in the moment. You know, like look at the people who are there, talk to them, make conversations, because usually I'm like, oh, I have to say this, I have to say that, right? So initially the experience had changed just by me not focusing too much on trying to make it perfect the way I want it, mm. right? Leaving some room for some other forces to make this perfect. And then through the lecture, I felt like ideas are coming to my mind either from my previous studies years ago that I'd forgotten or just right in the spot, that actually that became one of my best lectures, at least personally, to myself. And I think this is very important. You know, uh, one of the philosophers has a line that you don't speak through language. Language speaks through you, right? And I think this is very linked to this idea of surrender. You know, this idea that if you don't always try to get things right, there are other forces or places from which ideas may come to you which may be better than the ones you're forcing on your life, mm. okay? Um, let me elaborate on this a little bit. In, in Islam, for example, we have, if you want to come up with an idea, experiment silence for a little bit, right? Don't talk too much if you are looking for ideas, right? Especially to scholars, this is like a spiritual instruction 
And before I always used to think, why do you want to silence me? You know, I thought like I'm using my mind, I'm using my thoughts, my language to come up with ideas. Like that's all I do as, as a person whose job is to read that. But so you're now telling me to silence myself? But then through my journey and also reading the works of some philosophers, I realized that there are two places from which ideas come, right? Or two modes of being in the world. And now, of course, this is even scientifically proven, right? Um, we'll get into that maybe later on. The amazing book, The Master and His Emissary by Ian McGilchrist, the Oxford psycho um, psychologist. Amazing book. We'll get into that. But he there basically explains that there are two modes of being in the world. One mode, which is more uh, controlled by the left hemisphere of our brain, tries to understand everything, control everything, right? Get a, uh, get a grasp of everything, right? The other side, the, the, the right hemisphere of the brain, the mode of existence in the world it has is that I don't want to grasp anything. I don't want to control things. I want to have a relation with them, right? And you can even see this in the way you are with people, hmm. right? For example, in some of the classes they would um, have for us when we wanted to become a therapist, they were like, when you're with a patient, there are two modes of being with a patient. Either prior to talking to them, you have this goal that, okay, I need to get them to change this belief about themselves, make them feel safer. And then throughout the whole interaction, the therapy session, all you're trying to do is to get them to go to that place you want. Mm. This is more controlled by the left hemisphere. There's another mode of being with people in which you don't have a purpose, right? You're just trying to be there, be present and communicate right is that more the empathy type that would lead to more empathy yeah. naturally because you're not there from a place of control right and immediately you see that the other person understands this right so studies shows that we've got mechanism in our body that understands how you're attending me okay now the the, the, the same is with universe the same is with everything in whatever we do, we have these two modes of being. One tries to control, tries to grasp, right? Tries to understand fully, mm. make it define. And another way in which it's more holistic, rooms for chaos, it, it you know, allows room for chaos, tries to be in the moment. And a lot of the times when they tell us that be silent, ideas will come to you. They don't mean that you as a person be silent. They mean that you... The part of you that tries to understand everything, grasp everything, think of everything, allow that to take a break for a while. So the other way that you're in the world, your holistic relation with the world or with the person, that from that place, ideas can come to you, hmm. right? So now you can see how surrender is very much related to this. So even if a person doesn't believe in a higher power, well, as Muslims, we do, even if they don't believe, still they can appreciate this because it means that by surrendering it's not that you're letting go of making decisions etc no no you're just allowing the other mode of being in the world help you in making your decisions uh, how, how does that sound i think it makes sense mm -hmm. um when you were saying that i was thinking about and again i don't want to actually ruin the story of of, of uh you know michael singer's life but yeah near the end he has some very extreme circumstances that he finds himself in yeah 
And w- what was incredible for me is that, you know, obviously you, you, you do what you can. So yeah. he, he was going through, it, it was a legal situation. As yeah. I said, I don't want to ruin it because it's actually, a, you wouldn't believe where, where, yeah. where he starts and where he ends up. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know that ability, because you spoke about tawakkul earlier. Yeah. And, and that trust. And we always talk about, oh yeah, just, just trust in God. And yeah. It, it's passively a very easy thing to say mm-hmm. and a very easy thing to, to do. Mm-hmm. But the reality for me, I think, is that it's, there's a there's a certain level and like and so so you know michael singer in that moment whilst is going through a very extreme situation that you know could end up in in jail or whatever else yeah is able to kind of fight his corner do what he needs to do but then also be completely at ease with whatever whatever transpires yeah, yeah. and i think for me like a lot of it is about thinking of the the control element because i know when i find myself in a sticky situation it's it's the control part of the brain mm-hmm. the left side or i can't remember which side you said yeah that's in overdrive yeah and and so when you talk about quietening your mind for me it's like okay that's that anxiety and whatever's going to be yeah. there but but learn to not suppress that but learn to control that even to allow that space for accepting accepting and Absolutely. engaging because i think as you say you know when from a and it's easy from to say from a rational or like from a logical perspective we believe in god yeah we believe therefore that whatever is happening to us and we can get into conversations about predestination versus yeah. free will yeah but we believe that god is watching god knows what's yeah. happening to us and and god doesn't burden us with more than we can mm-hmm. um handle so easier said than done but we need to be able to embrace the fact that everything yeah. is going to be okay this is part of our yeah. journey um, and I think that's probably the, the difficulty exactly. for me in all of this. Exactly. And, and, and this is why, I hope maybe today we can talk about this. I think this is why it's so important to know how to do things like tawakkul, like prayer. You know, this is one thing which unfortunately right now, I think a lot of us are failing to understand. Tawakkul is a technology, right? It's a mode of being in the world. And you have to teach us how to do it. Otherwise, we won't do it. We would love to do it. We can't do it, right? So this is why I think it would be very good today maybe to speak about this, right? Because, you know, you're saying that a lot of the times it's easier said than done. I don't think this is because it's a hard thing to do. I think this is because we haven't been taught it well, right? So imagine just this idea that you have to, like, suppress your mind right if you're uh, like if you want to make a decision and it also happens to a lot of creative people they want to make a decision their no idea is coming or they're like suppress your mind or like let the in fact if we have better understanding of that we'll know that you're not suppressing your mind what you're doing there are two parts to your mind one of them wants to control wants to understand everything and it only works on the data it has the other one allows new data to come in a lot. It's more explore, you know, it's more of an explorer. So you're basically trying to give more room to the other t- part of your mind, mm. right? So the more understanding we have, the more the dynamics of this becomes clear for us. And uh, I think we wanted to say something and then mm. I... No, 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 no. I, well, actually, sorry. Yeah. So one, one thing I was going to say, I think, is that on this, I've always felt like the perception is that the other side of your mind which you're identifying as, a, as an actual part of your mind i've yeah. always thought and identified that as like god given inspiration do you know mm-hmm. what i mean like mm-hmm. it, it 
like it's like oh you know don't shut your mind off yeah and god will inspire you with exactly uh, i get you, I get you. Yeah, yeah i get you but but you're you're kind of making it a lot more tangible and and yeah. saying this is it, a so that's the thing it, um it's it's the same thing there are different models of talking about it mm. right but right now with the current understanding we have in science is that the two parts of your brain or let's say the two types the two modes of being you have in the universe they're both you but one of them cuts you from relationship with the universe and its creator right one of them brings you to your mind makes you it wants you to solve everything through the thoughts you already have mm. which is great in its own place it has to be there but the other part of your brain it allows you to have an open communication with god with the universe so ultimately yes the ideas are coming from god but it's just that this part of your brain is the one open to receiving it, it right and i think this is you know the, the more we know how this works the easier it would be for us to do it so we know that we're not actually suppressing our mind we're allowing the part of our mind that can easier have connections with god to work now and the same is with people right you can be with people and have your you know preconceived notions of who they are purpose of what i want to achieve in this meeting and if you do that you're not actually meeting that person right how many people um, have experienced this that after a few years in a relationship they feel like there is no excitement left right and the reason for that is not that these two people who are now in a relationship have suddenly turned into boring people no if they want to start a relationship with another person again they will experience the excitement that person would be interested in them so what happens what happens is that after a while of being in a relationship the mode of being right goes to that towards the left you know the left hemisphere and so you no longer meet the person when you're meeting them you meet the ideas you have formed of them right so after a few years of being with the person if you're not careful if you don't know how to be with them from a different mode you're basically living with the image you have made of them in your mind and that's why they say that usually even when a partner changes let's say i'm angry in a relationship even if i fix my anger they say it takes the couple a year or two years sorry the other partner to realize my partner has changed because they're not living with me they're living with their mental representation of me right so this is with even people this is with god this is with universe this is with everything so we can either even with god it's the same thing we can either keep living with the ideas we have made of god in our mind or try to contact that divine being fresh right so there's basically this idea there's two modes of being in the world in one you have a fresh encounter with something with God, with your partner, with yourself, or you have an encounter which is not a presentation of that thing, it's a representation. Your mind has already formed it, right? So this is why we get bored with our uh, couples, sorry, with our parents, uh, with our partners, with God, with, with so many things, with them, with ourselves, mm. right? So, so yeah, so this is, I think, something that we can maybe explore a little bit. So, um it's very interesting. I, I'm thinking about. Uh, I want to come back to Tawakkul. You mentioned, you know, sure. maybe that's something we can explore. And I, I think where I was 
where I wanted to kind of steer the conversation slightly as well, and maybe we can start with this and then and then focus on Tomokul afterwards. Yeah. But I've seen and read. Um, I don't want to say a lot, but I've I've read a few books. Like I've mentioned a couple of them. Mm-hmm. So the Surrender Experiment, The Power of Habit. Uh, prior to that, the monk who sold his Ferrari, oh. uh, quite an old, but Robin Sharma, I think, uh, wrote that. And then Paolo Coelho has a bunch of books that I know have, you know, had millions of people read yeah. them and, and, and engage with them and, and really yeah. um, change their perspective. But what I wanted to ask is, is from a, an Islamic perspective, yeah. we don't seem to have authors or works and books that have had that kind of mainstream appeal. But whenever I've read books, um that talk about spirituality like all of the books that i've just mentioned and obviously many more yeah i always see so many elements of islamic spirituality within them exactly um but why why do you think islamic spirituality as a sort of um notion is not working yeah do you think it's not working well um yes and i think so because of what i've been told by people i was actually having a discussion um just last week with a friend of mine and he said, you know what? Oh, I love Islamic spirituality. I, I really want to get that feeling of change, of spiritual growth in my life through it, but it's not working. I'm reading the books. I'm listening to the lectures, trying, but it, it doesn't work. Mm. Whereas I've been reading, for example, The Untethered Soul, The Surrender Experiment, the works, these kind, and it's changing my life. And being the typical Muslim, he said, I even feel guilty about it. Why am I feeling spiritual with these books, right? So I think the problem we have is not, as you said, it's not that we don't have these things. In fact, any of them that we read, once we understand them, we're like, oh my God, similar. The issue I think we have is that some, at some point, it seems like our mainstream way of talking about Islam forgot this idea that you... Just transferring knowledge through words doesn't do the job, okay? Let me give an explain, uh, sorry, an example of prayer, okay? We actually have a hadith from the Prophet that a lot of Fogahan use in which the Prophet, peace be upon him, said, look at me the way I pray and pray in the same way, okay? Look at the way I pray and then pray the same way. Now, how did we understand this Right? We were like, okay, so the prophet got up, his hands were in that position, and then he went down, and then he did this, and then he did that. And then we kept transferring this, right? And then he said prayer has certain qualities, uh, and we memorized that, yes, like for example, it stops you from doing bad, it makes you a better person, it stops you from being angry, etc., all of that, okay, we transferred all of But then it doesn't have any of those impacts on us, Honestly, how many Muslims are there who, as a result of their prayer, have, you know, in a significantly become better people, right? And I know a lot of people who actually have stopped their salah, not much change to them. Yes, they do feel a little bit of missing it, but it's not like they've suddenly become that much nicer or that much more patient. Why? See, we have forgotten this, that these are technologies that you have to learn. Let's go to the example. Prophet said, look at me the way I pray and pray the same way. What did we hear? Okay, what time was it? How was he bending? Now, if for example, you know, you've got here the amazing uh, creative person, right? He's sitting behind the computer. He's sitting behind the screen. And now imagine if I want to learn how to be creative like him, 
Okay, I want to become an artist, a graphic designer. And he tells me, look at me if you want. Maybe you can learn to be creative. And I'm like, okay, what is he doing? He's sitting behind a computer. Okay, I need a computer. And then every half an hour, you know, he turns around, talks to Salim, and then he comes, okay, so for creativity, every half an hour. So do you think just by looking at what's happening outside, like the way he's sitting, if I just imitate that, I will become a creative person? Whereas with prayer, we're doing exactly the same thing, right? We're only focusing on what he was doing outside the prophet. And we've forgotten completely about all the things which should happen inside the person. Okay? How was, okay, where was his attention when he was saying Surah Al-Fatiha? Do you pay attention to the meanings of the words? Do you talk to God? What do you do? You know, all of these things that happen inside, we don't pay attention to them. And and no one gets up to say, I mean, a lot of people do actually, but as a whole, we don't stop and think, well, hang on a minute, I'm praying it doesn't have the impact on me. Can someone teach this to me? I know the ahkam, but this is not prayer. Can someone really teach the actual prayer to me? You know, um, Karen Armstrong has a book called The Lost Art of Scripture. There, she talks about this idea that you cannot transfer religion through books or through words. It's a technology that has to be taught to you in a very real sense, right? So it, exactly like what I was saying from creativity, right? We're seeing this person is sitting there, has got this like iMac in front of him, clicking on a mouse, but that doesn't make us creative. We need an actual, real, creative person telling us about the inner process of being creative. Right, so we've lost that with prayer. No one is talking about that. I mean, there are people again, as I'm saying, but as a whole, the same is with tabacco. Right? Do, does this make sense? It, it it does make sense. I think, and and I I, I I've, the lines between the podcast and reality for me, like, this is reality. But you know, the lines between podcast and non-podcast conversations I've had are blurred. Mm -hmm. In that, I can't remember the amount of times I've had conversations about form versus essence. Mm -hmm. I think that's what we're discussing here. So. I remember, and I may have reflected on this on the podcast, I, I apologize if people have, have heard this before, but when we went for Hajj, mm. um, there's a lot of rules. Yeah. There's a lot of you know, technicalities. You have to do this. You have to wear this here. You have mm -hmm. to throw a, you know, the stones um, at the, the pillars. It mm -hmm. has to be. And I feel like whilst the form is important, without the essence, it's nothing. It's absolutely nothing. Um, and, and so... Hajj was an interesting one, and maybe we're getting on a tangent here, but but let's let's go down the rabbit hole, see what happens. But for me, Hajj was one of the most ritualistic things I've seen in Islam because mm -hmm. I've always seen Islam to be very. Um, there are, there are certain things we have to do, but a lot of it is very kind of relationship based between yourself and God. But Hajj was like, okay, cool, we have a relationship, but yeah. walk around this seven times and yeah. then pray here and yeah. then run between these two things, mm. and it's so prescriptive. Yeah, um, but. I was constantly trying to understand what's the what's beneath this. And it's yeah. difficult, especially yeah. for something like Hajj. It's not something that you prepare for on an ongoing basis. So right now, if you're not planning to go for Hajj, you're not thinking about mm -hmm. Tawaf and, yeah. and uh, uh, Sa'i and all these yeah. things. But then suddenly you, you, like, you book your trip and you've got a few weeks to like suddenly understand the essence of all of this stuff. Yeah. But but I think like you know when I was out there I was I was really trying to kind of connect with the essence of what's going on rather than just making sure I've ticked all the boxes. Yeah. Because ticking the boxes and and it's like you know the, the fantastic example you're giving about creativity there, where 
I've always struggled to understand how how you can transfer this because even I mean if we continue the metaphor of creativity so fine you know by buying the computer by sitting in a certain way by drinking the coffee by having the conversations every half an hour all of that stuff that's not going to make you creative how how does that transference take place mm-hmm. um, and also you know is it then a like for like because even I think with things like creativity I don't consider myself to be a creative person I'm surrounded by creatives videographers editors graphic designers I just sit there and kind of have conversations on a podcast which is a lot of fun but that that essence of creativity I've learned on the peripheral side of things like bits here and mm. there I know what to look out for but I don't have that kind of creative spirit at heart do you know what I mean so if, if we if we carry that forward then to thinking about prayer or I mean let's let's focus on prayer yeah but it's one thing to know the elements so I know we need to look at the prophet's essence yeah when it comes to this but yeah how yeah yeah exactly well we will talk about that actually i have a few examples that will be interesting to talk about but i think you know you you you're, you're mentioned quite correctly that um we do talk about this the form and essence etc but i think at the moment we are in right now in the history us as Muslims have to make this our top priority or one of our top priorities. It shouldn't be one of the things we talk about. It should be our one of our top priority things that we have to figure out. Otherwise, a lot of people are leaving the religion every day, right? And I'm not saying like that's for me to say leave or not leave. Like that's their decision. For me, the sad thing is if there was something here that could have helped them, which I believe there is, and they left it without benefiting from it, right? So it's a very serious thing. And I believe we have to turn this into our priority, right? So they say for any kind of transforming, for any kind of change, you have to have a diagnosis, a vision of where you want to go, and then get at it. Right? I don't see that many people, you know, trying to solve this problem. And of course, there are. And actually, because you were mentioning books, I just want to mention this amazing books by an author called A. Helwa. I'm not sure if that's her real name or not, but on the book it says A. Helwa, and it's an incredible book. Just search her on Amazon Books how, or how do you any spell other her surname, do you know? Sorry? How do you spell, how do you spell H-E-L-W-A. Okay. Incredible book about spirituality. So definitely get that. So we have some Muslims who have written amazing books on spirituality and it's very, it has a mainstream appeal. So perfect. Just wanted to shout out that. But yeah, so, but as a whole, you don't see this thirst for trying to solve this problem, right? The same is with our hadith. The same is with Quran. You know, like a lot of the times I see people when they want to start, you know, this is now. This is now people who may even complain themselves of, oh, religion doesn't really change me. But then when they start a page on Instagram, they want to share Islamic things, they just post a hadith, right? Okay, the Prophet said, anger does this. Or we have a hadith that, uh, I don't know, don't break your promises to your child. I'm like, this doesn't cut it anymore, right? You complain yourself, but then you come and post a hadith without any further exploration. How is this hadith going to change anyone? Don't we know that you shouldn't break your promises to your child or you shouldn't be angry? These hadiths were there to open the room for exploration so you bring out the deep content in there. And I want to give an example as well so that they don't think this is just an abstract idea. See, 
This very hadith that don't break your promises to your child, young child, because to them you are the rab, right? So to them you are the Lord. So although Lord is not a good translation for rab, but whatever. And okay, let's see how much can we explore in this. And in order to explore in this, we can't just rely on Islamic books. You have to know the, you know, the current science. You have to know psychology. You have to know so many things. This is another thing which I think we really need to do. See, one of the mistakes we make, I'm just trying to elaborate on this hadith and see how much wisdom there was which we're not benefiting from. One of the mistakes we make is that we think you can transfer beliefs through words through classes, through Sunday schools, right? Religious parents committed to transferring their religion to their children, you know, a good Muslim upbringing. So they're like, okay, let's send them to the Sunday school. Let's send them to madrasa, where they'll bombard them with information that God is nice, God is this, God is this, God is that. And then some of them will keep that. A lot of the people won't keep that in a real sense. And I want to talk about the difference between having a belief in your mind and having it as an actual belief that counts, okay? So I'm going to go on a little bit of a tangent to be able to explain this, but just to understand where we are, I'm explaining the hadith by the prophet that don't break your promises to your child. And I'm going to explain why this is such a deep hadith that could have changed the life of so many children if we had just understood what it meant. Now, see, in therapy sessions a lot of the people that come for therapy have anxiety issues right and we have this technique of where you're trying to um the person right the person who's come for the therapy they try to discover themselves what is the root cause of their therapy right so it's a way of we teach them how to talk to themselves to bring the reason out for example a person who may be experiencing a lot of anxiety in a discussion with themselves they realize okay you know why i'm so anxious because everything for me has to be perfect i have this expectation of myself that all my work has to be perfect then they ask themselves why 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 am i like this and then they realize oh my god you know what and of course this takes time and it's a method it's not as easy as this right so they may come to realize that oh you know what as a child I felt like the love of my parents depended on my performance, right? So my parents would only show me love when I was performing really well. So this belief was formed in me that love is dependent on you being perfect. And then my expectations of myself went off the roof because I want to be loved. It's a human need and anxiety. See how it happened? That's the chain. Now, this is the belief that this person formed about the universe. That in order to be loved, you have to be perfect, right? I don't care how many Sunday schools told this person that God loves you as a human being. You have a soul. None of that means anything. Even if this person teaches them to others, the core belief this person has is that no, a human soul is not a human soul needs to be perfect in order to be loved, right? So you don't teach these beliefs to your child through those classes. It's the action you did. Now, why is it so important not to break your promise to your child? Because when your child is two, three years old, you are channeling 
God for them. They don't have a concept of this world has a creator. They look at you and you are the rab. It's in the hadith by the prophet. So however you treat them, that would be the belief they form in their heart. This is not explicit. This is not in their mind. This is in their heart, right? This is implicit memory of their body. That yes, dad broke promise to me. So universe, its creator are not reliable, right? Now the child may get eight years old, 10 years old, 12 years old, teenager, send them to Sunday school. They'll tell them, yes, God is Adel, God is just, God is reliable. But this person will live based on the idea that the universe is not reliable. And imagine how much anxiety is going to be caused by believing that this, this universe has a creator who breaks his promises. Right? No matter how much work this person does intellectually, they can't get rid of that belief which was formed. Now see how deep this hadith is. Don't break your promises to your child. Right? Instead of all that religious teachings, just one thing. Don't break your promises. So in order to get benefits from, from prophets and from hadiths, we need to open them up, you know? And in this way, then we'll see, oh my God, this is such a deep and life-changing tradition, right? So, so um, that's really insightful and fascinating, um, specifically because I've been thinking, because my, my wife is kind of studying... Um, this th therapy kind of stuff and we have conversations about it and one of the conclusions that that she's kind of drawn and I, I've drawn at least personally is that early childhood trauma and trauma doesn't have to be anything extreme but it can be something like you've just described um, can and does actually have a huge impact on 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 people's lives and and the, the way that they shape everything that they do and I've always I've seen that and I've believed that and you know you can kind of do your pseudo psychoanalysis on people at least my own like i don't know anything yeah. about this space but i'm like okay xyz in early childhood has manifested in in this today um and i've always kind of had said all right so psychology is, has kind of clocked that very well um and i've never drawn that link to a hadith of the prophet like that and i think that's hugely profound because as you say like you know you look at these hadith which are very simple don't get angry uh, be nice to your kids don't break promises yeah. whatever but as you say if we're able to unlock the, the level of depth and I think you know at, at the same time I'd, I'd probably put it back on you and say that it's it's the the role and responsibility I think of of our uh, learned members of the community of our sheikhs of our students who have that dual perspective who have that duality of knowing for example modern science like you've spoken quite a lot about science yeah. today and also understand Islamic tradition and, and whatever else to help us as a community make those links. Because I think, um, and this is another thing, right at the beginning when you were talking about a hadith and people posting them on Instagram and whatever else, and, and, and you know, you, you're 100% right. And in fact, we've, um, we've had stuff on where a lot of people and a lot of pages um, that are set up as like those reminder pages and, and um, Hussein Kesvani who's been on our podcast pre previously in his book Follow Me Aki um, within that he interviews one guy who is um, who has one of these pages with you know thousands of followers and basically the page was an aspirational page mm. so all of the values that he was talking about were things that he wanted to aspire towards not where he was at mm. it was like a, a reminder for himself mm. and for everybody else yeah um, and it, it just, it, it got me thinking that I, I think one issue um, that we have is that lay people 
because of our kind of very weak and flailing connection with the religion and spirituality we're culturally muslim and, and that's been spoken to yeah i think at, at length but it's almost like oh the prophet said this therefore let's do it no no deeper thought goes into it so you know this kind of checkbox mentality yeah it's like i have to do xyz to be a good muslim yeah to be a good muslim the prophet said i have to pray i have to fast yeah. i have to whatever god has said yeah. this in the quran and it's like, oh, there's a hadith that says pay your taxes, yeah. for example. Therefore, let me pay yeah, my yeah. taxes. Um, and, and there's that very um, robotic approach to things. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, so the problem with this is what? The problem with this is that at some point, all the teachings of Prophet just go away. And you are left with basically, I mean, what you end up doing in your life all become what your mufti tells you and these are not even when he gives ethical advices all that is left of islam becomes the apparent acts right because those are the ones which are easy to do bend go up go to sajda do all of this right and we miss out on all the important things now um, if we just want to do this because what happens is that these hadiths if you just listen to them like this and transfer it to your children right like there are many parents who may even say you know what learn the quran learn these hadiths memorize these hadiths what we don't realize that these are 100 percent, or let's be careful 99 percent useless if you don't elaborate on them there's no point just a few weeks ago, I gave a small talk on this hadith by the Prophet that says people could pray and their prayer would only get them farther from God, right? Because if you don't realize that prayer is a technology, sajda is a technology, it has to create a change inside you. So if you just do it, the Prophet says sometimes that's even worse because what happens is that you get this idea that well i even tried prayer i didn't really change myself that much and usually the parents generation may be even guilty to say that but their children see that you have no idea how many messages i'm getting from parents saying my children are telling me why should i pray it's not changing you it's boring right and they may force them but i'm sure 10 years 20 years after all they'll, they'll realize Right? So this is the problem when you don't realize that these technologies have to be open. You don't get changed and the prophet says this is worse because you're passing this information on to your children that yeah, prayer, we tried it, not much change there. Whereas if they were with parents who hadn't prayed, maybe the possibility that prayer could be a beautiful thing would have been in their mind. Okay, And, and so this is, I think, the main problem we have. Right, We are transferring hadiths which of course it's a beautiful thing bless the generations who pass it on to us because we needed them to be able to open them up mm. but now it's the time it's a serious urgent priority for us now to keep opening them right we need to keep opening them otherwise let me tell you this i believe the impact of religion islam we're talking about right now on our mental health on our well-being in this world on our spirituality is very minimal very minimal you remember I gave the example of we have a Ferrari we're going five miles per hour with in the previous podcast. This is it. And this breaks my heart, right? And we think this is Islam. What we're doing right now is not Islam, not even by any stretch of imagination. Okay. So 
we, we, we need to start taking this seriously, making it into a priority. And yes, you're right. A, a person who's not a scholar who hasn't studied it may not have the knowledge to do that, but they can have the expectation, right? They can have the expectation. When you see something's not changing you, why do you go and ask for more? Why do you then even force that on your children, right? Uh, it's very interesting. One of the spiritual teachers was mentioning this thing. He said, uh, a lot of parents come to me and say, why don't my child follow my the way you know we did all of the things we religion why is it my child not following me and he said look at yourself where are you right now are you do you want your child to be like you you're miserable you're stressed you don't have any presence of god in your life why do you want your child to be like you so yes i'm a lay person i don't have the islamic understanding can i have at least the expectation the understanding that this is not going well and then not forcing my child when he or she comes up with a good question See, when your child comes to you and says, this prayer is not working for me, that's a great opportunity for you to understand probably wasn't working for you either because if it was, you had an answer to give them. And then you go to the sheikh. You're like, sheikh na. Or to the mufti or whoever's giving leisure. We want more. Make it more elaborate. If this one not, then another one, another one, another one, another one, right? People have to know that this is not working, you know? Um, one of my teachers was giving this example that if you go to a doctor and he gives you a prescription, so you know, you've got a terrible headache, get these two pills, it's going to go away in two hours. You go home, you take the pills, it doesn't work, right? Your headache is getting worse. What would you do? Probably you would either go to the doctor and say, didn't work, terrible pills, or you would go to another doctor. But when it comes to religion, they say, pray, your anxiety will go away. This would... It doesn't work. I'm like, oh, maybe I don't have anxiety. You, you know what I think that is actually. I, I think a lot of that is kind of um, keeping up with the Joneses. Mm. So you're told do X and Y will happen, and everybody else on the surface seems to have had that impact, mm. have had that reaction. Mm. So you think, oh well, clearly the problem is not with the prescription. The problem is with me. Mm. Like I'm not working. You know what I mean? Like yeah, that, yeah. it doesn't work in a medical sense. But it's like, oh, there's something wrong with me. Yeah. That's why. So I just need to do this harder. I need to yeah. pray harder. I need to fast harder. Yeah, yeah. And it will eventually work. Yeah, yeah. But I, I think it's 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 bold, I guess, for you to present the the perspective that actually we should push back and 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 demand more and demand alternatives exactly but I, I at the same time i feel like and again this is probably a, a a different tangent that we can take maybe even another time but i i i don't feel like a lot of our because because you're right when it comes to mental health mm. i think it's a huge area that needs to be discussed and explored and it's something that we've tried to do on the muslim vibe quite a lot mm. um but when you correlate that with uh lectures and seminars and workshops that are given in our islamic centers and establishments obviously pre-covid yeah a lot of the content is a lot more um fiqh and akhlaq based for example yeah don't necessarily look at mental health now you'll see like titles like islam and mental health as like a topic yeah, it's, it's become it's just marketing. very surface level yeah um you know th that kind of thing but i don't know if if our institutions are fully ready and set up to to provide this faculty for us i get you okay okay uh, great point let me say one thing as well mm. that not all the fault is on the scholars as well I no, no, it's all I, with them i'm, I'm yeah. the scholars. what happened you know and, and and i learned this through through like my own lived experience yeah. that 
a lot of the times the kind of scholars that could help us with these kind of issues are the exact scholars who are not supported by the community right see a scholar who who needs to, who, who can help us with these kind of answers has to do a lot of work the amount of knowledge required to f understand one hadith in a way that would actually make sense not a cliche we say and everyone's like oh prophet said the amount of work is immense and unfortunately it's these very kind of scholars who are not supported by the traditional systems of supporting a scholar that we have in the community so this one's not on the scholars i've you know how many great friends i had who i had so much hope in like i was willing to sell my car to support them right but the problem with my car wouldn't be it's enough for them <laughs> exactly <laughs> but now because there's no support they've had to be doing other things mm. other things so the kind of scholars the community needs the most are usually the kind of scholars that they don't support so that's one thing and secondly yes it's not like in one day we're going to discover all the answers we're going to have the best half seat of the world on or we're going to realize oh how the prophet was exactly praying but if we're honest if we come together then each person can provide one part of the answer and we can get closer right some of the discussions i've had with teenagers especially teenage girls they are super insightful you know and one of the things i like about this generation this is a no bs generation you know they come they're amazing we may find them really difficult but that's on us they're amazing especially when it comes to religion if you tell them do this they do it and it doesn't work they'll come and say it to your face right and i love this because i'm interested in these kind of discussions so i'm like perfect yes tell me why it doesn't work and he says you know what i tried to do this way i couldn't make i couldn't feel like i'm talking to god i was like okay what ideas did you come up with and she may say you know what i actually tried this how about i try this they have amazing discussions amazing ideas right so it doesn't also all the answers doesn't have to come from the scholars if we just be honest that the current way is not working ideally then all together we can slowly slowly come up with the answers right sometimes maybe our children can teach amazing things to us mm. honestly the amount of insights i've got from teenagers is incredible of how they had to change their prayer to make it work for themselves because they don't want to do something that doesn't work okay so so this is also something that we should be optimistic about so on that first point that you mentioned i think um it's a very important point actually that th there is there is fault and blame definitely on the side of the scholars which i think you know we, we can both agree on but you're also right that communities are at fault for and like you said you know the expectation and and what i've seen at least you know being involved in in my local mosque for example as well as as, as one particular example but generally speaking when it comes to how we pick our imams or how we pick the the speakers and things yeah. like that i constantly feel like the criteria is is failing um, the community mm. and, and and again this isn't a specific example with, with, with my mosque but generally yeah. what i've seen is that a lot of the times conversations i had around like oh what kind of a crowd are we going to bring in mm. how can we how can we maximize mm. uh seats you know people bums on floor basically yeah yeah, yeah. what's the what, who, who's going to bring the crowd yeah, yeah and unfortunately it's not about what's the best in terms of development for the community yeah and even like i i feel like uh uh, mosque leadership level generally conversations are often um, geared towards 
things that are, are, are less inclined towards education. So for me, yeah. I think the central and the focal point of an, uh, an Islamic establishment, institution, mosque, madrasa, whatever, yeah. has to be education. Absolutely. It has to be what journey are we taking the community on? Which direction do we want to go Absolutely. in? And how can we find scholars that supplement that? Yeah. Now, okay, th- th- there's arguments being made that, that scholars should be a part of the, the leadership structure to be making those decisions, which yeah. I, I think is important. But if it's going to be run by by members of the community and whatever else who are elected representatives or, or otherwise, I still feel like the, the, the focal point should be education. Exactly. It should be having a curriculum almost for how, how are we taking this community forward instead Unfortunately, it comes down to kind of people politics. What food are we going to eat? Yeah. The, is, is the property big enough? Do we need to buy yeah, a new plot and yeah. everything else? And and that's where that, that becomes the focal point of even conversations amongst community members. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I totally agree with that. And at the other, on the, I mean, at the same time, I can understand why the managers of a mosque or a center would, would behave that way. And maybe because you know at the end of the day we're all we're all in the same team right so if any of them is listening and i want to talk to them is that it's in everyone's benefit for us to take these things seriously right because your daughter your son will come to the center that now you are managing this way and if you are not accommodating for discussions that can help them with their mental health, with their belief about God, you will suffer yourself, right? And this doesn't hit people unless it gets personal, right? Unless they see that one day, their, for example, their child or a nephew or a niece is going through a serious, let's say, anxiety disorder, can't get up, doesn't have any purpose, right has phobias or in another case it says left islam has, has see so understand that this can happen to yourself and we're all in one community and believe me one of the things that really gets me passionate about these things the discussions i'm having with real people and the the difficulties they're going through parents who don't know how to deal with their teenagers right like serious issues or, or even younger kids. So however way you design that mosque, your children will be there, you know? Mm-hmm. And it could be the difference between a, a person who is going through a lot of difficulties, cannot receive help, doesn't find connection to God, or a young, you know, uh, active person with purpose who wants to do, you know, all of this depends on how you set that setting environment. And also, I love, and, and, and I want to move back to our discussions because I'm like, I want to give more examples of how we can elaborate and make use of religion, right? But just last point I want to say on this topic is that even sometimes when we get a scholar for a center, um, we burden them with so much task as if this person doesn't need to grow, right? There is no scholar who's done with their studies. Right? If you want good answers, this person needs to grow to provide better answers with you. Well, I was looking at the expectations sometimes communities have. They even have contracts with their scholars. The amount of work that I'm like, where does this guy have time to think, to come up with new ideas, to find a better way to make your child feel better? Right? None. 
So I just wanted to put that out there because I, that really broke my heart. When I saw these contracts, sometimes they sign with the scholars. I'm like, You're, this is not, this is torture, right? You have to understand this person needs to grow because your life depends on this, right? Um, okay, let's change the topic. Uh, like less, we can get back on track. That's less fine. grim um, <laughs> rants. I want to mention another hadith because again, I feel like we're doing a lot of injustice to the prophet. And recently, I don't want to talk about the political things that have been happening, a lot of incidents about the Prophet, etc., etc. But I want to be bold at the risk of getting some heat and saying we as Muslims are doing more injustice to the Prophet than any non-Muslim, right? And how so by not taking him seriously? See, if you want to, for example, if you have a gym instructor... What would taking him seriously be? Putting photos of him in your house? Keep like having sessions and say, Oh, gym instructor. Oh, my gym instructor. Oh, my gym instructor. Or following his plan, changing your life so that others will look at you and say, Oh my God, this gym instructor is amazing. Usually this is how a lot of people find their gym instructors or trainers. Oh my God, you've got a nice body now, right? Who? This person. Imagine if we were a community so beautiful in akhlaq, in our spirituality, in our psychology, right? And, they, and then we're like, wow, which prescription did you follow? Oh, that's of this, uh, this guy called Muhammad, peace be upon him. Would anyone then go and care? Oh, no, no, you know, he was like this. He was like, no, no, oh my God, give me this prescription. I need it, right? The best way to get rid of all the hate is to make people feel like they need him. And honestly, I don't really think we're doing that right now. I don't think our life shows anyone that we've got a good gym trainer or spiritual trainer being the prophet, right? And, and I think this is the worst disservice to him. And, and, and so uh, on, on the same spirit, let's open one of his teachings and then see how much, for example, it, 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 do you agree? Yeah. So we already mentioned one hadith by the Prophet and how if you just transfer that, that's disservice. If you don't expect it to change your life, that's not respect, right? It's not respect to an idea to put it on your head or to have a, you know, imagine if someone wants to respect, for example, me as a thinker, as a very humble, stupid person, right? In no way compared to the Prophet, but even with me, if someone wants to respect me, I wouldn't want them to frame my quotes and put it on the wall, right? Respecting me would be that if I say something doesn't make sense to you, come and tell me. That's taking me seriously. If you want to take Quran, which is the best gift that God gave to us through the Prophet, seriously, it's not by saying, oh, Quran, Quran. It's taking it seriously. It's acting upon it. Otherwise, you keep saying this is going to change life, but it doesn't do anything. So, Take things seriously. And one way of showing respect is if it doesn't make sense, then go and say that. Saying this doesn't make sense to me is not disrespect to the Prophet or to God or to the Quran. It's the best respect you can give. Right? If I'm talking, if I'm giving, for example, this podcast, we're having a discussion, and I say something you don't agree with, if you don't tell me, that is disrespect. Right? Because I can't then defend myself, I can't explain more. So that was another thing I wanted, another rant. Okay, that rant out of the way. 
Prophet has a hadith, which again, we have this later on from many sources, this has come down to us, this teaching. That if you've got a child for the first seven years, treat them as, as like a kind of king, right? Let them have their way. The next seven years, like a kind of, uh, what is it called? Uh, not that everything they say, no, no, you treat them like a, like an a, 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 like what is it called like someone that you talk to you know like it's not that they're the king but they're someone that you get advice from you talk to you know so same level and then in the next seven years a different teaching is given right so the first seven years treat them as a king whatever they say yes that's it let them have their way after that the next seven you talk to them okay you want to do this why what what are what is your reasoning not that you force your own ideas on them, no. You start talking to them, okay, so you wanna do this, what are your thinkings? And you'd be surprised of how really the children have amazing um, arguments, etc. Now, this hadith has been mentioned billion times at least, I'd heard it. But again, we didn't go deeper in this. First of all, why seven? Is there a particular reason? Does anything happen to the child at the age of seven? Right, why is it, why is it divided to three, seven years, okay? Okay, treat them as a king. What does that mean? How do you make the shift in the seven years from going to, from the king to a kind of vizier that you would, how do you make this shift, right? There are so many questions about this hadith that we never asked. We never asked. And now, I was just um, last month reading this amazing book by a psychologist from Chicago. God, this guy, the insights he has is incredible. There, he, without, by the way, any knowledge that there is such a hadith, right? He's just explaining about this idea of how when a child is born, they have a kind of inner grandiosity, okay? They genuinely believe they're the center of the world, they're the king, all of that. And they even test sometimes to make sure if you believe in the same thing or not. So for example, he says you may be at the, the dinner table and there's food in front of the child, but he sees there's a food on the other side of the table for no better other reason than just testing to see if you believe they're the king or not. Say, I want that one, right? I want that one from the, all the way on the other side, just to see if you also give them the confirmation that they're the king. Now, he's saying that this inner grandiosity, the way you deal with this can be the root of almost all of the psychological issues that the child may have later on, okay? It's very interesting. He actually does a very beautiful study. He goes through the DSM, you know, this book that has the name of all the different mental disorders, right? It's a very, like, the Bible of, of psychology. He goes through every single one of these and he shows how most of them go back to parents not dealing well with this inner, inner grandiosity. And then he explains, how do you deal with this? Now, there may be some parents who like may be interested in this, right? So he says, yes, definitely this needs to be taken very seriously. You have to actually treat your child as he is uh, with the smaller G, the God of the universe. That's how he feels or she feels. You treat them like that. And in order to do this, the child needs to be with two parents who understand this because this requires a lot of patience, 
right? And and you know, we hear this and you'll be like, okay, I want to do this, but then we go with our life, we go back to the same pattern. If you're a you know a, a religious person, you want your child to have a religious life, like I'm talking to you personally, dear listener, and you care about your child, I want you to make a make this decision in your mind right now because i know you care a lot about you put a lot of effort into making your child a good child right you drive them every sunday to the uh, to the school or you know the sunday school you you buy cds for them you talk to you care and you're putting a lot of effort now i want you to know that the most important effort make this decision right now all the difficulty you go through that way bring that effort into this just being patient with them letting them have their way because they need to have this and most people don't right most people were not treated as kings in the first years of life and then what happens if uh, you don't treat your child like that this inner grandiosity this i am greatness right goes out of their ego and goes to their unconscious part okay so they're going to have self-esteem issue because all the source of greatness they felt about themselves is gone. It's no longer in their ego. It's no longer in their personality. So it's in their unconscious. But not only they're going to have self-esteem issues, but from that unconscious, they're going to be all the time on the atta attacked by that. So all these perfectionist thoughts will come from their unconscious part of the mind to their mind you are not perfect why because their unconscious is so great all the greatness went there so they're going to be keep receiving you're not great and how many of us even adults we go through that no matter how much successful we are there's a voice in our head that always tells us no you're not great enough you didn't do best you know sometimes the best thing happens in our life and at night we want to no i wasn't good enough right most actors, most you know, athletes, scholars, everyone goes through. Why? The greatness has went in the unconscious that's now attacking you. So if I can jump yeah. in here and have like quite a, a practical, because as, as a parent mm. with a two-year-old, I'm, I'm trying to assess how we deal with our yeah. daughter. So uh, funny enough, last night, um, she refused to sleep till about 10.30 p.m. Mm -hmm. But you're constantly from like 7.30 trying to yeah. make your daughter sleep. And, and, and giving in in the way that you're kind of saying is is i think at least on on one level going to be harmful for the child on, on a physical level right like they, they don't get enough sleep so you're trying to make them sleep but then they're not in control because they don't yeah. want to sleep and blah blah that's I, I think what the first response would be to what you've just said from a parent because that's what i'm thinking like, yeah I, i'm not just going to let my daughter stay up all night because she's the king of the universe absolutely absolutely okay so that's the thing see in order to be able to bring our parents up like this we need a whole great community with understanding, right? Mm. A lot, I mean, and, and so the burden of living this way is not only on parents. There needs to be supportive, you know, systems in place. And I'll, I'll explain this. Um, so many of us don't even have the time to be there for our children to let them be the kings, right? We have to work so hard to pay for the rent, that we don't even have the time. So I'm not saying all the burden is on the parents, right? In order for a lot of these spiritual teaching or psychology to work, you need the whole society to build differently or design in a different way. But there are things we can do. And one of the, actually, you mentioned a good example of sleep. Let me mention about eating because this is an area I've had a lot of research in. A lot of the things we as parents do to help our child 
actually creates all sorts of problems with them. Most of the people, including myself, I'm not saying like, I'm not, you know, having a go at people who are overweight. I've been overweight most of my life until I'm like slowly, slowly discovering to deal with this. So there is hope, by the way, for all the listeners who've tried 25 different diets. The reason why diets don't work, which now all the scientific studies are showing us, right? Almost all of the diets don't work. You will lose weight in two years time, we'll come back. The reason for that is that we have lost touch with our body, right? Oh my God, actually this is great to mention a hadith. Perfect, thank you. Why have we lost touch with our bodies? Because when we were children, we told our parents, we're not hungry. They were, no, 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 we have to eat. I have this seen this in every family gathering I go to. The child says, I don't want to eat. The parent says, no, you have to eat. What do we do when we force our child to eat? We teach them, don't listen to the message of your body that says, right now, I don't need food. Why? Because we think we know better. Okay? And then as a result of this, most of us as adults, we don't know when we are full, right? So, you know, have you heard that hadith in Islam we have that stop eating before you are full, before you are completely mm -hmm. full? Do you know that most of us cannot act according to this hadith? Why? Because we are not connected to our body enough to know when we are full. Why? Because we have gone against the message of our body for so long that we have literally lost connection with our body. Try this, right? The dear listeners. When you're eating, try to see when you will be full. You realize that, are you like, how do they even know that? Is it part, like, how would you know that? Which part of your body tells you that? See, this is how detached we are with our body. And the interesting thing is this, there are ways to start connecting to your body. It takes a few months, but you can learn to listen to that message. And the interesting thing is, once you do that, you wouldn't even need a diet. You would naturally get to the perfect weight for your body. So we didn't need any diet, right? Through just intuitive eating. And who destroyed this for us? Loving parents, loving aunties, who forced us not to listen to our body. Right? So a lot of the times as well, again, these supportive measures we want to do may actually end up harming them. So yes, we need to, and of course, again, this is not to blame the parents. They didn't know, right? So this is what I'm saying. We need a whole community, a whole society to make these knowledges available for us. Mm. This is a whole community thing. We need to do this together. By the way, that was another hadith that you see how deep it was that stop eating before you're full. If you just say that to people, it's 100% useless because they don't even know when they will be full. It, it requires two months of training to know when you would be full. F full, sorry. So again, another hadith that had to be elaborated. Now going back to what we we're speaking, so if you don't uh, treat your child as a king, no blame on you by the way, most parents don't, um, the, gra the grandiosity will go to their unconscious and will keep attacking them. There will be a jealous type, envy, right? Because they'll keep projecting that greatness onto other people and they want it, they don't have it, they become jealous, all sorts of issues. And if, if, and if you treat them so much like a king, but then in the next period, you don't bring them down from the throne, because do you remember the hadith said, first treat like a king, then a vizier. If you don't bring them down, then they'll go on in the world thinking they're either God's gift to the world or they're the God gifting to the world, right? 
and all sorts of issues. And it's very interesting. In this study, he shows everything from obesity, from insomnia, from all sorts of issues that you can think about how they're caused by the same thing. And he talks about this. First of all, if your parents didn't do this for you, how can you later on integrate your grandiosity? Because the important thing for an adult is to have a connection with their inner greatness without identifying from it, right? If you don't have the greatness, you won't have self-esteem. If you have the greatness and you identify, think the greatness around you, you'll become narcissistic. In Islam, we call that kibr. So what is the best solution? You teach the child or later on the adult how to have access to the greatness so they have energy for life, juice for life, but at the same time they don't become arrogant by knowing that that greatness is not coming from you, right? Hmm. That's kebr. That's, for example, this hadith from the Prophet. Do you see how deep the concept of kebr is? Kebr could be the root of all psychological issues. But the way we talk about it, yeah, don't have kebr. And most of us, we like, I don't, I don't have kebr, you know? The issue for most of us was kebr. We just didn't know. The idea of how to deal with the greatness inside of us. Have connection to it, because if you don't, you won't have any energy for life. But at the same time, don't identify with it. Know that it's coming from outside of you. Do you, do you have the name of the, you mentioned it was Chicago-based, the scientist. Do you have the name yeah, of the... I have some reservations for mentioning their name. Okay. So if it's okay, let's... Uh, Pretend like you never I'll, said any of it. I'll, I'll, I'll <laughs> tell you yeah. afterwards and, and you can be the judge if it's good to share or not. Because okay, I've fine. got some reservations. That's fine. Um, yeah. I, I think that's, uh, it's fascinating. One thing I, I, I've learned from this is that post eight o'clock when my daughter can't sleep i'm dropping off to your house because you said it takes a community absolutely so you're lending your support in in do you know how they said it took a village <laughs> to, to, to raise a kid that's how it was yeah, yeah. most of us uh, by us i mean me and my cousins i should have in in these cases first of all our parents were so patient but mm. also a lot of us were uh, you know raised by our grandparents my grandma took a lot of the, you know, burden of, uh, of our, you know. So again, the, the, it's it's a lot of factors involved. It's not the parents' fault. But it, it's like you said, right? Um, historically, we, we've we've you know, especially from ethnic minority backgrounds, we've grown up in in villages. Yeah, yeah. And and, and like our our grandparents and whatever, and our parents, yeah. and, and all of that were you know raised as you say by the community. Um, but again, I, I just feel like you know. In, in a western context in, yeah in like urban cities yeah it's just a very different setup absolutely so like you said you know sometimes you'll have one parent or both parents working yeah. till late yeah you'll have a childminder or a grandparent whatever and it's it's very difficult to you know if, if you were able if, if you had uh all the time in the world all the money all the yeah. resource in the world where you could just dedicate both your and your your wife or your husband's time to just raising your child yeah then you could possibly Fulfill all of this. Okay, I, okay, okay. Is it okay if I jump in? Yeah, yeah, feel free. Because the thing is, we don't have to be perfect, right? Even if we make... See, once we've got the idea of what a picture parenting, uh, perfect parenting would be, then we don't need to implement all of it. None of us can. Mm. No one is perfect. That's the whole uh, beauty of being a human being. But we can make some changes. Like, if, okay, if you don't do it, if you can't do it with sleep, there are so many other things you can do, right? First of all, just knowing this is a whole mental shift knowing that your duty in the first few years towards your child 
is not to, I mean, those are also beautiful, you know, religious upbringing, Sunday schools, all of that, they're beautiful, honestly. But know that the most important thing is your patience with them. And it's not always about sleeping. Sometimes they just, you know, come and pour water on your laptop or they break your phone or they just want some of your time. It's not always about sleeping. So just knowing this, that your duty to God with regard to this child is not to go and, for example, do this. or the, it, it shows itself here. Mm-hmm. If you want to make your relationship with God better, it's here. This is the where you know it takes place. When your child does something that want to make you lose your patient in that moment, right? So this is a shift that everyone can do to some extent. Know that religious upbringing, this is it. Be patient. Well, so there are other things. Okay, you can't do it in the seven, when they're you know when they're young. You can't treat them as a king later on provide knowledge for them of how to deal with that because most of us we are having those issues and we can't take the time back and tell our parents to no most of us are already in the situation okay provide these knowledge for them right talk to them about this i have you know like you know what i mean like there are so but, but many I, things I also, we can do i also think like on, on the on the flip side yeah the you know, parents may not be listening to this it might be the kids that, that are yeah, listening to yeah, this conversation yeah, yeah. and i feel like there's, there's there's two avenues you can you can choose at that point right number one is resenting your parents and holding mm. it against them and, and whatever yeah or appreciating their their blind spots or appreciating uh, their shortcomings mm-hmm. and trying to fill that gap yourself that, and and like you said earlier that's where it comes down to firstly self-awareness mm-hmm. and knowing mm-hmm. the, the the issues within yeah and then seeking to remedy them and and it, it, it's almost like a full circle because it comes back to the beginning of our conversation mm. or middle i can't it's been a long conversation but yeah. when we were talking about you know going to scholars and seeking the advice yeah. and seeking the remedies yeah and and demanding yeah. results almost yeah. by saying give me more give yeah. me more um so look, we, we've been talking for over an hour now. Okay, okay. Um, it, it's flown by, I know. I, I'm, I'm quite surprised. I look at the time. I can't believe it. Uh, I, I'll leave it up to you. I mean, we can continue talking. Or if you think it's, you know, leave the people wanting more, we can always do a, a, a part four now, <laughs> um, another time. Because I, I think like there's, you know, where, where we started with talking about surrender and where yeah. we're at now is a completely different place. But it's yeah. been a, an interesting kind of journey throughout. Yeah. Um, how do you want to play it? Uh, I want to mention two things. One is, first of all, you're an amazing host. So thank you so much for, first of all, inviting me. It's such a great um, honor for me. You were saying I'm not the creative type. All of that's nonsense. You're amazing. And the way you conduct the interview is well, perfect. We're going to have to edit all of this stuff out. Secondly, I'm so glad you mentioned that maybe the one who's listening is not the parent, is the child. I'm so glad you mentioned that. Because exactly. It's very important for us to know that our parents did the best they could. And also that this is now a great opportunity for you to go and figure this out. Figure yourself out. And often when I talk to teenagers like this, it's very interesting from, you know, from, because, uh, you know, this day and age is the toughest age for teenagers, especially teenage girls. And these are like scientific studies are showing this, right? The, the, the amount of depression, uh, depression in teenage girls is, is, is crazy. So if, if, you are, if you are listening to this, know that maybe this could be your contribution to the world. Maybe now, because you've been through this, if you figure it out, 
which if you put the energy in, you will, when you figure out how to deal with this, how to get out of it, then you can help so many people who are in the same position as you. And that's amazing. And when sometimes I, I speak to teenagers like this, you see their eyes light up, you know, from a position in which think there's no light at the end of the tunnel, life is, they go, oh, maybe I can get out of this. And that's my purpose to go and teach other teenagers that this is how to solve this. Or maybe later on I can teach parents how to help their children, you know? So definitely, I'm so glad you brought that up. And with regards to talking more or not, I think we covered quite- A, a lot of ground. A lot of ground. So yeah, so thank you so much for having me. And um, I hope we, uh, we did manage to make some beneficial points. Inshallah. No, it, it's it's genuinely, I mean, thank you for your kind words earlier, but it's, it's genuinely a pleasure having you on because I, I, I think, you know, when when you're speaking at length, which you do on the podcast, <laughs> I, I, my mind is, always, no, but it, it's good because it gives me a lot of time to think and like yeah. I'm, I'm trying to, because I don't, I don't often listen back to the podcast. Mm. So I try to actually experience them in the moment. So happy. And, and, and have the thoughts um, whilst it's kind of going on. So it, 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 it even the last few times we've spoken it's kind of left me with a lot to kind of just ruminate on and 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 dwell on because as i said for me personally if i just sit here and ask the questions and have a good time and walk away it's, it's also pointless so i i try to kind of be present um and 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 i'm glad that you talk as long as you do and i'm not saying this in a, in a like as a as a subtle attack yeah. but it's it because it actually leaves me room mm -hmm. to to think and, mm -hmm. and dwell on the stuff and, and it's it's fascinating because i feel like especially and, and you've you know a few times now in the conversations we've had you've taken things that i've always overlooked and thought to and people i think generally think are very simplistic um almost slogans at times like i think it was subhanallah last time or alhamdulillah i can't remember which yeah. um i have to go back and listen yeah, but yeah. you, you took something very simple and 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 opened it up to like new dimensions mm. in my own head and, and and it got me thinking that you know there's there's so much and you've just done it again with the hadith today mm. of there's, there's so much that we just fully take for granted and i think you know as a concerted almost community effort we need to demand more from ourselves exactly and and and, and look at our traditions and really ponder and think and and, and extract yeah. the beauty that's within there yeah because Unfortunately, I think the traditions that we or how we've received the traditions, it's like drawing water from a stone, mm. but it's, it's not the case. It's like a sponge, a very porous sponge, mm. and you just need to squeeze a little bit and it will come. But yeah. we, we don't see it that way. Yeah. yeah. Um, but no, thank you. I, I think, you know, it's people's minds are changing. And I, I'm seeing that with the work, you know, with the Muslim vibe and the conversations I'm having that, that people are starting to look at things. And like you've mentioned, when you talk to young people, it's a different ball game. Mm. Um, so inshallah, we can, we can continue this conversation on another podcast. Inshallah. Um, if, if you, I, I don't, I, I, I hope I don't have to read like another book to be able to entice you back on. No, no, it's, <laughs> it's, so it's always a pleasure to, to, to be here. And uh, I really like the TMV audience as well. I had a lot of great messages which showed me that people really take that seriously and, and that's so great opportunity for, uh, for me as well to share my ideas, listen to people's feedback, which I received a lot of feedback as well. That was amazing. And I love how I think you just brought it all back to the first thing of like, the you know how you said when you're talking to me you're tr or to any other guest, you're trying to be present. Mm. 
that's all the thing we were talked that about was unintentional link to surrender yeah. Yeah. surrender and at the same time what i was saying of two modes of being in the world mm. there's one mode in which we says i already know this and it has a purpose right so a lot of interviewers the ones especially whose podcasts don't work they come with an agenda i want to talk about these things and that's it done or there is another type right says okay let me be present and see what happens mm. right let me not come with a you know with an agenda with a purpose let's see what happens let's communicate and it's only in this mode of talking and being that that person opens up to you and you see them otherwise you're not seeing them you're seeing your thoughts and all i've been saying in this podcast is the same way we can be with religion you're either trying to uh, you either treat it as a person you already know and you end up overlooking it as you said these hadiths in the same way that unfortunately a lot of us we overlook our partners after a while of being with them they get you know where there's no more any juice there's no excitement or we can learn another way okay let me see how can i how can i meet this fresh right so the same way that we try to do with people if we do it with religion then the beauty of it will show itself to us and uh, I think I should stop talking. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. And this was Javad Shomali signing off. <laughs> Thank you very much. So that was my conversation with uh, Dr. Javad Shomali. Um, as always, just so much to, to kind of take away from that. This is one of those podcasts that I'll end up listening to a couple of times back. Um, because it was just there was just so much there um, really really interesting substantial stuff I think specifically for me some of the or the way he generally makes things very relatable and kind of everyday when I think demystifying a topic like spirituality often is is quite a difficult and tall order and, and whenever you hear people going down the rabbit hole of talking about spirituality it gets a little bit um, detached from uh, like common understanding if that makes sense like it gets very technical and very um i want to say weird and zany uh those probably aren't the right words but you know what i mean um but you know the the, the way that he spoke about the essence and the form um of of salah for example and how we look at the prophet and it's not just about the physical actions but it's about everything behind it um i think is stuff that is is uh like with a lot of this stuff it's the start of internal and community-wide conversations I think that need to start happening in terms of understanding and appreciating um, our religion for what it really is um, yeah that is everything um, please do uh, subscribe if you haven't already um, and be sure to give us a five-star rating wherever you download your apps or on YouTube or you know write a nice comment or whatever um, and we will be back next week with another great podcast inshallah uh take care guys stay safe salam